Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Hail Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show presented... Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. No Chris Schmidt, no Mark Cranach this morning as it's Elijah Herbal taking you through this Saturday morning edition of Hail Varsity Radio. Rather than a traditional show, it's only me in here this morning. Well, we're going to be going for a best of Hail Varsity Radio. So we had some uh, good stuff we've accumulated over the past couple of months that would give you a chance to listen to it again. So nice we had to give it to you twice. Uh, so we're going to start this one off with uh, Jabba Chamberlain here from a couple weeks ago, uh, as well as Kaz from earlier this week. And then uh, coming up next hour, we'll have Warren G, an interview from back in 2016, as well as our interview with Ron Brown a couple weeks ago. And pulled one out of the vault for you, Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals. Uh, we talked to him back in 2019. Uh, we'll have that one coming to you in the second hour as well. Uh, but first, let's get you our interview from a couple weeks ago here with Jabba Chamberlain. We'll have uh, Rick Kaczynski's interview from earlier this week coming to you later this hour. But here's Jabba. Back into it, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Husker Baseball on our mind. We welcome in All-American Husker standout Jabba Chamberlain and uh, World Series champ. So, Jabba, you just kind of got to go uh, kick it for game one, didn't you, with a uh, little deck time. I'm envious. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, had a little bit of high school baseball action, just waiting for, for the stuff to come out this morning. So I was talking to some, some parents about that, and then... You know, just got to uh, I got to actually do a little workout with, with listening to the boys on the radio and then finish up by just relaxing with my feet up. So not too bad of a start for a Friday. I really can't complain. Well, I got to I got to go back to the uh, the, the uh, legendary stories of of bus rides. We know Nebraska had to take a bus down to Texas 12 hours. Uh, is there a, a bus horror story? And then a bus, man, I was on fire in the back playing cards story. No, I, I think back then we didn't really play too many cards. It was kind of just a story time and just trying to get on the bus so you didn't get next to, like, Brandon Buckman, who was six foot six and he sweat profusely. So <laughs> I just sit next to him on the plane, so I never, I never wanted to be next to him on the bus. It's <laughs> pretty good. Eddie, did you have pretty good accommodations in the minors on bus trips? No, miserable. Um, I mean, that, the trip to Texas, I remember I was fortunate enough I didn't spend too much time in the minor right. leagues, but I'll never forget we went, we had a three-city trip from Akron to Altoona to Erie. And, the, yeah, I mean, you're running in the parking lot. You're playing catch. You're staying. You're not staying in a Holiday Inn Express. You're staying in just a, like an Inn Express. They, they forgot the Holiday Inn in the minor leagues. So, uh, but, yeah, the, the minor leagues, it's, it's hopefully – 
going to get better now with with Major League Baseball taking care of it. But the uh, the minor league bus trips were were not the most fun because they uh, they put you on. I think the longest one I had was fourteen hours. Ugh. Wow! I I did uh, Winnipeg. Hold on a minute, Fargo, and. I think Schomburg. I filled in for the Salt Dogs 100 years ago for Dolan and Baylor. And, uh, yeah, so long and short, I had a minimal sip of, you know, cup of coffee. But it was fun hanging out with Tim Johnson. That dude had a ton of stories. <laughs> I think the biggest thing, too, is like is just the stories that you tell from college to, I mean, you get in the minor leagues, it's just the stories of, you know, the dollar beer nights in Erie, Pennsylvania. I mean, you're not getting paid anything, so it's like you actually get to enjoy a night out. Or we had a, uh, a story of we were in hard-hitting New Britain, and this girl came to a game, and she had Boom Pow from, like, the old uh, cartoons, uh-huh. Batman and Robin. And so just, like, cool stories. You're like, where was that at? And just, you know, just the experiences. And I think some of the stuff you'll remember forever. I remember literally when we um, – we're in the World Series. I think, I don't know if I was doing interviews or somebody was doing interviews and we were just walking around as we're getting filmed doing interviews for our own teammates. So it's just stuff like that that you'll remember more so than some of the outcomes of the game. Well, the bonding experience, right? Uh, Java Chamberlain with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Oscar is able to take day, game one here, Jabba. 2 nothing. and what do you like about Cody Frank? He's been a, a relief guy, but he got, he got the nod today, and man, was he uh, big time over six innings, ten strikeouts, just two walks. That's what ne- Nebraska needs on the hill. I mean, it was the first two innings, he, he put himself in some pressure. There was a weird situation in the second inning that I listened to it and I tried to like figure out how it broke down. There were three different outcomes that happened in one play, and then the next pitch, he gets a 6-4-3. So it's, it's things like that where the momentum, I mean, we talked about this before. It's, it's eliminating pitches, and, I mean, he was getting early count and contact. And he wasn't going into extended accounts. And for somebody coming in that I felt like probably the 60 pitch mark was probably somewhere where it could be close to get four or five innings. But just the efficiency. And after, I think he retired 13 or 14 at one point. And he just, after the second inning, he really didn't have that many stressful innings. And as soon as somebody got on in the seventh, obviously that's the right move. But to see what he did and the momentum, and that's that's what a guy does is he goes out and puts puts them on the back, and obviously you get a big swing for a two run homer, and, and then you just kind of get to take a, a deep breath and and know the guys don't have to put so much pressure on themselves, and then to see what Emmett did coming in to finish, and you know just knowing what Cody had did on the front side, I think like we talked about last week that being contagious and, and seeing what he did and. He didn't want to go in and let the team down, so it was just uh, awesome to see. And for a guy like Frank, who's been a middle reliever his whole Nebraska career, what's what's that change in mentality that's needed to go from being a guy who pitches you know two or three innings in a spot to coming in and starting a game? And now, I mean, I think he went six and two thirds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, six and two thirds, punched out ten. And I mean, if you look at his old framework throughout the season, I think he's only given up four or five hits, and his numbers have been really, really good. So. I think it's just the confidence and it gives not only his teammates but the coaches a little bit more flexibility on, hey, what do we do here? Do we um, do we keep it rolling the dice, keep his momentum going, understanding what he can do? And, 
you know, obviously in game two, hopefully, you know, KP comes back and and does the same thing and builds off the momentum of what Cody did. So I think it just gives another option. I think we, we talked about early in the season is these games, it, it kind of they play itself out. And then some guys step up and, and end up taking a different role. And I think we're starting to see that with, with what he did in the first couple weekends and, and now to – to know you had to sit that whole week and know you're getting the ball to change the momentum of the course of your weekend and, and to have a guy step up like that, it, it definitely shows you a lot, not only from the pitching aspect of it, but from the mentality of, hey, I got a chance to go do something special. Let's get this started right and um, let's forget about last weekend and get going. And I think he did an unbelievable job of that. Java, for the other starters, what does that do to, to your mentality to see uh, the fact that you've been struggling to open the season and then a guy comes in and throws a, really a, a gem of a game uh, to open his series? What does that do for your mentality? Does that put some worry under you? Does that light a fire under you? I guess, I guess anyone can take it how they want, but uh, just what does that do to a pitcher? I think it, it's, you play that, that integral part of the, of the game between yourselves. It's, Obviously, we've seen what he can do. I haven't been the, the pitcher that I know I can be. I'm gonna, and, and every pitcher is different. And but you have to go out there and, and play that game. And be like you know what, I'm gonna go match him pitch for pitch. You know, I'm gonna give the bullpen a break. Let my guys on the offense score. Keep them in the game. We've seen he had zero errors. The plays that we made, the dive, and just just the consistency of what we were doing because. But he did a great job of keeping the defense involved. We didn't have 13 walks. We didn't have five hit-by bitters. We didn't have errors extending innings. But that all works together, and we've seen them happen. And then it comes to the, the offensive side, and they put together some better at-bats. And I, I just think from the starting pitcher side, is like go out and match that. I mean, and you can take it two ways. Like, uh-oh, you know, I got some competition. But why would you not want competition? You, you want guys to compete. You want guys to look at each other and be like, you know what, I'm going to go out and be just as good, if not better. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Just don't let your ego get in the way and, and work off each other, feed off each other, and ask questions. And then that's the only thing you can do. Jabba Chamberlain with us a few minutes. Husker Baseball, Hale Varsity Radio. Jabba, you look at the, the lineup uh, moving forward here. Bryce was leading off. Did a great job of getting on base, two for four. Of course, Griff with uh, his two-run shot, the the difference, and the offense. At, at what point do you think Nebraska settles on on their one through nine? And conversely, I look at, at Northwest State, Northwestern State. Uh, they their their staff had eight strikeouts. Are you concerned about Nebraska's strikeout numbers at this point? I don't think so. I, I think they put together better at bats. Uh, I think they're still going to come into their own, but I think just playing these these non-conference against against this competition and, and getting into Big Ten play, I, I think it'll all play itself out. There's there's been a array of, of different lineups, and I think with with certain things, and, and after this weekend, I think we'll probably see a more consistent lineup per se. Mm-hmm. But I think it's feeling out the certain situations. And, you know, we've got four home runs. We've had a ton of punch outs. We've had better at bats. And I think, you know, it's just going to continue to play itself out on kind of what game offensively that Will and his staff want to put together one through nine that's, that's going to make us the most successful. All right. Take me to a moment where you're on the hill, you want to stay in. Rob comes out and is going to try and take that baseball from you. 
the PG version of the conversation. <laughs> well, I don't know who was more PG if it was me or Rob at that point. So um, <laughs> Rob always had those good conversations with us when he came out. So um, in 98.7%, I can't say. And people that know Rob know that that's the exact the way he wants to be and once he gets out of his pictures. But it was just he, he always – he never felt like when he came out that he didn't believe in you. Sure. And no matter how he said it or which way he went about it, he always made you feel like you could get through the inning and keep going. And, and compete was always his thing because he goes, some days you're not going to have your best stuff, but you can always go out there and compete and give me everything you got. So – he never, he never made it feel like, oh, I'm going to come get this, or he's going to try and fill you out to see if you want to stay in the game. Mm-hmm. And it just, it always gave a boost of confidence when you team come out because he did it for the right reason. And it was either to slow the game down or be like, hey, you, let's let's figure this out, let's get it going. We know we're better than this, and, and let's let's get it in the gear. So I think that was the best thing for him was just the. The look that he had, and you didn't know which way he was going to go, but at the end of it, you knew he cared, and he believed in you to get out of the end. So, total poker face on the hill with you, or could you, could, did he wear, could you kind of tell just based on facial expression, like what, what was going to happen? The tone. You could tell a little bit. It was more so his walk than his face. <laughs> so, he just kind of has that, that walk where it's like, okay, he's, he's moving a little bit faster. So, he's. He's a little upset. He's going to get his point across. And sometimes those were a little shorter than the ones where it's just kind of slowing the game down, just sure. getting extended top and stuff like that. It was where you weren't executing, and it just was just a stupid pick selection. And so that, that had a little bit of a, a little bit of hip swagger as he stepped over that line for sure. <laughs> Jabba Chamberlain with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Jabba, before we get you out of here, I, I want to get your take on something that's been going around social media. We've seen a lot of high school kids early in the season doing some crazy bat flips. Um, there was one I saw yesterday, this kid, I think it was like a third inning, he had a bomb, threw his bat probably 45 feet in the air uh, before running around the bases, and uh, I can't remember which MLB player it was. Uh, he said, uh, Ben McDonald? Oh, I, I can't, it was one of the MLB players said, that kid wouldn't get to second base if I was out there. <laughs> so I, I just want to get your take, as a pitcher, what's your take on all the bat flips we're seeing in baseball nowadays? Uh, you know what, I look at it like two ways because when I first got to the big leagues and I was fist pumping, it was nobody Nobody was like, oh my gosh, stop the presses. Like, that doesn't happen. Nobody does this. And I got scolded for it. I mean, I literally had to do interviews. I had to, have to sit down with meetings and like, hey, that's not how we do things. And I'm like, that's just who I am. And <laughs> honestly, the, there's a certain aspect of it that I think can be taken too far. But my thing is, if you don't like it, play better. Make a better pitch. Mm. I, I like, there, there's, a, there's a line between, like I saw a kid, Ben McDonald tweeted it today, where the kid literally, the whole team came out to the line almost, and he almost got the first base and then flipped his bat. Like, yeah, that, that's what I'm little, talking about, yeah. Yeah, 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 that was a Ben McDonald, yeah. And um, so I, I think there's a, there's a line because – the gamesmanship needs to be fun. Like baseball has an aspect, especially right now. And then I think college baseball is going to do a tremendous job of, of keeping baseball relevant and live. And I mean, we're seeing what Tommy White's doing at NC state with nine homers through nine games. And it's just getting everybody talking about the good things of baseball. But I also think there's a, 
there's a thin line. Like, if you want a bad flip, get two steps out of the box and throw it to the stands. I don't care. I should have made a better pitch. But if your whole team and all other stuff is going to come out and you're going to wait till first base to throw your bat in the air, then there's a little bit of, like, hey, respect the game a little bit more. Like, have fun. Like, enjoy it. You did your job. But understand that there's been a lot of people before you that have done it better than you and respect that a little bit. Jabba, while we're on the topic, I saw a different video of a, a pitcher. Uh, he got taken deep to left, and he came and gave the uh, the batter a high five as he was uh, walking towards home for hitting it so far. What are your thoughts on that? No, oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't see that one. Where did you see this one at? Uh, I think I saw it on Twitter a couple days ago. Oh, I missed that one. I saw one when Tommy Wright and the dude walked, like, literally just to see how far it went. But I didn't see the high, I didn't see the high five one. I'll have to go look for that one. But maybe after the game, I don't necessarily know in the game if that's something I do. Um, I mean, after the game, I for sure would be like, wow, that was pretty impressive. I mean, still to this day, my first home run was to Mike Lowell, and I'll see him out still to this day and be like, yeah, I think your ball's still going. So. But we'll wait till after the game to talk about it. I don't necessarily know walking towards him and getting the ball from the home plate umpire and giving him a high five is, is probably what your teammates want to see either. There's no way, dude. That's a code red in the locker room. You can't high five the opponent during a game. Who's no, the... I mean, this, this is a Little League World Series where they're going around and you're playing teams from different countries and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that one, that one on both sides, although I think there's – like I said, that common ground. And, and the respect factor, 100%, I get it. Like, that's fantastic. But there's a time and a place, and, and probably not as each crossing home plate or before he gets there is, is probably the best time. Last thought on the, uh, the home run topic. Uh, who stood, who had the worst reputation when you played for admiring? Like, who would, who would crank one and then just stand and watch too long? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, it just progressively, as my career went on, it became more prevalent. It really wasn't talked about the first few years that I played. And then it came in, I mean, obviously one of the most memorable ones that I probably talked about is Jose Batista in the playoffs. Right, yeah. Um, And I think that's kind of the biggest one that made it like, I mean, if you go back old school, they they were still bat flipping. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just different. Like, it wasn't... It wasn't a topic of conversation. I mean, Ricky Henderson would pimp walks. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, in the game and the aspect of that, there's always been gamesmanship. I just don't think Brett Boone, every time he had a homer and he just flipped his bat, like, that's a bat flip in today's standards, but nobody said anything to, to Booney back then because it wasn't a topic of conversation. I just think the more it's talked about, the more people realize it. If you go back and watch highlights, every single dude bat flip. Prince Fielder, he takes gangster hacks and just throws his back. <laughs> and, and you just didn't think about it. And the more that it's brought up, it, it, it happens all the time. The guy, it, just, it wasn't the focus of conversation back then. No, the, the pimp walked by Ricky. I mean, Ricky'd like grab his chain, oh. grab his right above the, the kind of oh, yeah. your pocket pocket square. Collar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, sure. Rick, Ricky was funny. I, I loved watching Dawson just with that kind of the, the stance he had where the right. The, the left leg was in front of the, the right a little bit, you know, the stance and 
Andre'd go down and, and smoke one, and that was all always pretty good. Uh, you know, there's just major mashers the last 25 years of, of baseball, and but Ricky's still the king. I mean, the pimp walk is forever. Oh, I mean, that's just that's just swag that will never go away. I mean, he still has it to this day. So it's something that you just are, you're born with in, in his case. So it was it was always fun. But like I said, if you go back and look, it, it it's happened a long time. I think it's just more prevalent now, and I think the younger generation has grown up with it, and that's why we're seeing it more. Like I don't mind a good bat flip, but all the way to first base and then toss your bat. Like yeah, I mean, and then they'll get in the argument of. Well, what are you going to hit him for? And that's a whole other thing. And I mean, we could talk about this for days. Yeah, we'll, we'll do another episode of when yeah, it's time to sure. bat somebody. <laughs> right. Oh, Cal Ripken Jr.'s coming up. They just bat flint me. Let me uh, let me pluck yeah. an icon. <laughs> yeah, let's see how that goes over well for you. Then you'll be then you'll be getting beat up by your own team. <laughs> Possibly. Jabba, enjoy the weekend. Uh, thanks for talking some Husker baseball and some MLB with us, bud. Sounds good, guys. Appreciate it. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's say hi to Rick Kaczynski. A Tuesday with Kaz, coach of Nebraska and Iowa, of course. Kaz, what do you know? Not much, brother. It's uh, finally settling into some uh, good, consistent weather, but just, you know, same as usual, man. Just, Just work. Work, 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 man. That's about it, brother. How about yourself? Well, getting ready for a little roadie down to Arizona. Uh, so that that's on my mind. But a lot of NFL news to get to. But NCAA tournament tips off the, the play-in game. So were you a big Hoosiers guy growing up, Indiana? Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, you know, basketball, different different game, different time back then. You know, you look at the 80s and in the Big East and um, – you know Kansas and just just all the all the blue bloods, but uh, yeah, big hoop fan uh, growing up. But um, you asked me what my favorite team was, probably probably Indiana growing up, and obviously a lot of respect for for Coach Knight and and uh, and what he did, and then just the um, you know obviously with Hoosiers and Indiana basketball and and um, in the state, I think up until '94. Um, in the tournament there, they, it was, uh, it was like bracket play, you know, it was, everybody was in, they didn't, they didn't have classifications, I think until 94. So, uh, I was at Notre Dame when that was still going on. So that was, that was really cool. But, uh, yeah, man. So yeah, I grew up, uh, I grew up a, uh, grew up a, a Hoosier fan for sure. So, uh, but I, you know, once you just like, just like college college football i guess you could say i grew up a penn state fan but i just i just like the game you know same mm-hmm. thing with college basketball you know pulled for indiana but just uh, a lot of teams a lot of teams I, I enjoyed watching but man you go back to 84 85 86 that era um you know st john syracuse yeah 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 or nay on the hoyas were you a big ewing guy Oh, I hated, I hated Georgetown. Hated, <laughs> hated, hated Georgetown. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, but I did like Sleepy Floyd. Mm. Um, you know, so certain guys are like obviously respected, respected Ewing. Uh, but uh, you know, in the Big East, was a was a big fan of um, 
big fan of the Cuse. And then, mm-hmm. um, then DePaul, you know, I think everybody, when they first got cable, you had WGN. And uh, <laughs> so, and then there was a lot of guys. DePaul was recruiting out of DeMatha. And um, okay. back, back in Erie, there was a – DeMatha used to play in the McDonald's Classic Big Four team tournament. So, you know, being third, fourth grade, watching those guys, and then you're, you're watching them. I think Dallas Comedies and, you know, obviously like Mark – was it Mark Cummings? I mean, they just – you know, just player, player after player. I think DePaul had some some sick sick unis too, mm-hmm. like their unis. But uh, yeah, Villanova, eighty five. But yeah, you know, I mean, I was a gym rat, man. This was just like just like sports. So, but yeah, I'll be honest with you now. I hope Indiana. You know, I, I know about Indiana right now. I saw Iowa, you know, win that game um, off the bank, um, <laughs> and then uh, you know, kind of took it to Purdue a little bit, but. I was a little shocked. I thought Purdue would be a little bit. I thought Purdue was going to be the team to beat in the Big Ten this year. But, yeah, I I know about as much as I read, which is about three paragraphs a year on college hoops. Well, you'll fill the bracket out, and you'll have as good a shot as me, man, or, or anybody <laughs> filling out the bracket. Kaz, a couple of your guys, uh, ink and free agent deals today. Malik Collins going to play for Lovey and stay with the Texans two years, $17 million. For, for Malik, eight and eight point five guaranteed, and then the comeback story of Randy Gregory, a bit of a plot twist here, as Dallas offered, and there was an initial an agreement an, an initial agreement with Randy to Dallas, uh, five years, seventy million dollars, twenty eight million guaranteed for Randy. Uh, I think that was between Jerry and Randy, and then Stephen came in and wanted to change the language of the contract as Denver's on hold. Well, Randy's headed to Denver for maybe uh, around that same number for years and guaranteed money, maybe a little bit more. But uh, response, a couple of thoughts from you on both of your guys as they uh, get a second and third contract. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, once you get to the league, that's what you're playing for. You know, it's most of the, you know, you get that second contract. And, and um, you know, what Malik did, you know, talking about him first, you know, Malik, Malik bet on himself. You know, he took he had that uh, one year out in uh, out in out in Vegas, and you know, kind of hedged himself, and then took a little less money, and uh, you know, bet on himself to uh, to perform, and it and it, uh, it worked out for him. And I think um, I, I think he's comfortable there. You know, it's uh, moving to another city, moving your family, doing all that. So so I think he's in a good spot. He's in a good system. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he knows the lay of the land there, but obviously proud of him. And, and I, I know Malik, you know, I know, uh, you know, he's got a couple, he's got a couple cars, but that, that's about it, man. You know, he lives very modestly. You know, he won't, uh, he won't have to work the rest. He will, he will, but he won't have to work the rest of his life. You know, he's been very conservative, but you know, obviously proud of him. And, you know, once again, just a, a great story, a kid who's, whose father unfortunately had died when I think Malik was five and raised by, you know, raised by a single mom and, you know, a community and then, you know, wrestling career had people take him under his wing. And, and, uh, obviously the, the career he had at, uh, at Nebraska and he did the same thing, you know, he got out if he would have stayed and him and I talked about it. Um, I guarantee you, I mean, I'd hedge myself too. If him, I had a chance to coach him fourth year, four years, he would have, he would, he would have been a top fifteen pick, no doubt. But you know, he left a year early, 
under that regime and, uh, you know, dropped a little bit in the draft. But once again, he hedged on himself back then. So, uh, you know, obviously proud of him and, uh, you know, great for him, great for his family. Dude's a, dude's a great kid, great, uh, great family guy, great husband. So, uh, and a great father, man. So just, just, uh, just extremely, extremely proud of him. And, you know, same thing for Randy, you know, it's well-documented. I mean, who would have, who would have taken the chance, uh, you know, on Randy Gregory, if you'd have said four years ago, if he'd still be playing or in the NFL, uh, I don't think a lot of people would have uh, taken that bet. Um, you know, got to give uh, a lot of credit to the, the organization, Jerry Jones. I know a lot of people don't like him, but, uh, you know, Randy, you know, that, that team looked out for Randy, you know, Jerry looked out for Randy and that's, that's why he's, that's why he's still playing in the league and, and going to get paid. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, freak athlete, uh, he'll probably, probably looking for a little bit more guaranteed money, which, which he'll, he'll absolutely get. Um, but yeah, man, proud of those guys. And, and you know, uh, I mean, both of them come from a little bit different background, but, uh, but, you know, all, both faced many different obstacles, man, and both are successful and because of the people that they've had in their lives. So, uh, you know, not only a credit to them, but a credit to the people that helped them along. But, but I think also too, Schmitty, it goes back to, you know, ta- not taking for granted um, how good, you know, how good we recruited and the type of players we had when we were there. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, it, it, you know, there I, I don't think there's been many Big Ten defensive linemen. I know, you know, I know a lot of people just throw that around. I've heard that, you know, you know, the guys in the Omaha World Herald talk about a, a D lineman the last two years about this great play. Anyway, he was a solid player, but you know, all Big Ten, you know, NFL. All, what these guys do is not easy. You know, I mean, when you were watching those two guys on the field at the same time. Um, it's rare. It's going to take a while to get two guys like that ever again on the field at the same time at Nebraska. Um, so, uh, you know, I hope people understand and I hope they realize what, what they had the privilege of watching with those two guys. And, and, and those two guys really, really, uh, really, really love Nebraska. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if a guy like Malik, um, just with his personality, his persona and, you know, his, um, just, just, just how he operates. I wouldn't be. I w- I'd be shot. One, I guarantee he's probably going to coach. But if he doesn't coach, it, he, he'd make a hell of an amb- ambassador for uh, for the university. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, proud of both of those guys, and and uh, you know it's great for him, man. Rick Kaczynski's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Rick, uh, that that line you, you're talking about in in 14 and in 13, Avery Moss, fifth round, Vincent Valentine. I think Vince was a second-round guy to New England. Randy was a, a top-five pick that, that fell but got swooped up and Dallas invested in. Randy Gregory tied for the league league in forced turnovers last year. Randy's played 50 career games due to suspensions, but 16-and-a-half sacks. And then, of course, Malik's on a third deal, and he's as good an interior as there is uh, when we talk about just the job that's asked and you're not always a stat guy on the interior, but he is he's a guy Lovey wanted to keep, right? And we know how good a Lovey Lovey is is still revered from a defensive mind standpoint and got another gig in, in the NFL. So 
that that front four you had uh, really impressive. And those are guys that some you redshirted, some you didn't. But they they played early. But it, it looks like you developed them. They were really talented too. But give yourself a little credit with the development. I mean, because they were they were a terror to watch. They were a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's yeah, it's like everything else, man. It's 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 easy to develop talented players but uh i think when also you know with the exception of avery when you look at those mm-hmm. guys you know they're all they're all midwest guys man mm-hmm. they're, they're they're all in our footprint and i think that's a big part of it man the further away you go from from home your footprint um you you know less and less about a guy and the more and more a coach will sell you a bill of goods and you know i'm not saying that happens a lot but it does happen mm-hmm. um and you know that you know there's just something about a kid in, in those type of footprints and yeah, I know there, there are not many steel mills left in Pennsylvania, but there's still there's still steel mill mentality in a lot of those in a lot of those towns. And that's where Penn State recruits, you know, same thing in Ohio, you know, just that blue collar mentality. And that's the same thing with with uh, with schools in the Midwest, with the Iowa's, the Michigan States, the Nebraska's. I mean, those are the, those are the type of kids that you want. Um, I mean, you look at the Davis twins. I mean, I mean, Schmidt, you know, you know, if we're if we're there in 15, you know, you got. In 16, in 16, Collins would have been back. I mean, you had Collins, the Davis twins, Randy would have surely been gone. You know, if 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 Avery was still around, and you know that was unfortunate what happened to him. But he Avery was a freak. I mean, you look at that play he made against Northwestern yeah, the pick. in 13. Yeah. I mean that you know one it it turned the game, kind of turned the season for us. And and uh, I mean that that was just freaky, freaky athletic and. Uh, you know, I mean, he was he was about he he was one of probably top five talented guys. And then Vincent, part of recruiting is is luck, but also too, man. You know, there's a lot of guys that didn't play in the NFL that were really good players. I mean, you know, Jason Ankara, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Kevin Maurice, Kevin Williams, and you know that kid from from Omaha. That that'll always be a mystery to me. Deshaun um, Neal, be a mystery. That that I would have loved to coach that kid. There's no, I'm just, like I said, and they call me arrogant, cocky, or whatever. There's absolutely no way that kid wouldn't have been a starter for me. Absolutely no way. Absolutely no way. I remember calling Greg Madison on him. Uh, actually, Greg called me when Greg was at Michigan in Michigan off. I remember Michigan going in the house. I was I was going to take a job um, as an analyst at Michigan, and, and uh, you know, Greg called me, and and shoot, they were taking him. They wanted him. You know, Nebraska ended up getting him, but you know, Michigan wanted him. That kid, that kid was a great player. Um, you know, I mean, uh, oh gosh, Mick Stoltenberg. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we we had guys. There, there was, there was, there was plenty there. There was plenty, plenty there to win more games than they did, man. And that's what they got to get back to, man. Get back to that footprint. You know, you got to, yeah, I mean, obviously you got to develop guys, um, but you also, you also got to get, you got to get guys that uh, can bend in the knees, hips and ankles, man. You know, get, get rid of these guys. Don't, 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 don't bring me any big belly guys. You know, I mean, don't, you can't, you can't win with big belly guys. I promise you. So, uh, you know, but those, those guys are right in your backyard. And if if they want to get back to playing for something in November, and playing in something in December and January, you, you know, just you ain't got to go far, man. It's right in your backyard. You just got to identify him. Rick Kaczynski's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Kaz, how did you connect with Malik and his personality? How did you connect with Randy? What was your relationship like with each guy? 
Well, I knew Rand, you know, Randy, you know, both different kids, man. You know, and ironically, they were Randy, obviously a junior college kid. Um, but Malik and Randy were, were roommates in, in, in 2013. And uh, that was probably great for both of them. Two guys from both different ends of the spectrum, inner city, Kansas City. And then, uh, you know, Randy's from Fishers, Indiana. And then uh, his, his, his folks lived in Macomb, Michigan. And, um, you know, it, it just, just completely did. And that's the great thing about football, man. You know, you got two guys completely different backgrounds living together and learning about each other that playing together and, and, and now successful. Um, but, uh, you know, Malik was a guy, really young guy. Um, and, and when you're coaching long enough, you know, when you're watching tape, you're always comparing guys to what you, you coached. And when I put Malik on tape, um, you know, just his explosiveness, you know, his, 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 you know, his knee bend and playing low to the ground and his ankles and his hips. And I'm like, man, this dude's a waist down player and he's a three down player. And he reminded me of not a high school, Mike Daniels, but probably a sophomore at Iowa, Mike Daniels. And, you know, and that's what I talk to you know, when you talk to these guys, this is, man, this is how I see it. And then, and then you could show them, you know, I could show them Mike on tape and say, Hey man, this is, see how this kid played. And let me tell you, he was way, he was, he was way far behind than what you were. You know, Malik came in at 290. Mike Daniels came in at 230 pounds was a high school tailback and nose guard, um, you know, and, and wrestled at 225. And um, so, you know, and then you get to know the family and then, and, uh, and uh, you know, you just, you just connect with a kid. And then obviously, when we were recruiting and people were taking shots and, and like I told Malik, I said, Malik, you ever hear me say anything bad about any of these other places? No. I said, I ain't got to brother. I said, they could tear me down. They could tear Nebraska down. I said, you know, in the meat, they're tearing themselves down. I said, I got nothing to say about those clowns. They're, they're insignificant to, to me, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I think Malik kind of, he kind of liked that. He was, he was, a. Uh, he was a young kid, but he saw through BS, right? Mm-hmm. And and he and he knew. And the thing that Bo did, the thing that I did, and and most of our staff, we you know we told you how you were going to be coached, right? And you know we told you how we were going to treat you, and we told you that we're always going to do the best for you. And that doesn't mean you're always going to like it, man. You know. And what I loved about Malik, man, we got after Malik, man. You know, like I told those guys always, there was no way in hell we were, we were going to let a, a guy with that type of talent and opportunity to be average, man. And there was no way in hell we were going to let those guys be average. And that was – and if, if they practiced average, if they were average in the in the classroom, if they were average off the field, we got we got after it, man. You know, and, 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 and those guys responded. And that's why and that's why they became great, and that's why they became successful. And then when they're done playing, they'll be successful also. But you know, Randy was a guy. He, um, you know, transitioning to Randy, Randy was a guy recruited at Iowa. Um, you know, same thing, lanky, raw type of kid, but just freaky, freaky athletic. And um, you know, uh, he he didn't make it. He committed to Purdue. Um, we were going to bring him on a visit to Iowa. And then uh, we, we knew he wasn't going to make it, so we kind of backed off a little bit and uh, we stayed in touch. And I remember getting a highlight tape. There was a kid out at Arizona Western uh, nose guard that ended up going to uh, Alabama um, back in like 2010 or 11. I think his name was Jesse Williams, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Yeah, that sounds right. 
And, uh, you know, so I knew the coach, actually, the, the coach uh, out at Arizona Western was actually from Juliet, Illinois. So he was a Midwest guy. So he was always, you know, staying in contact with the Big Ten schools and things of that nature. So he sent me the tape and I, you know, this was this was 2012, right when I got here. And, and obviously, you know, we were losing Baker. We were losing Cam. We were losing some dudes and Ankara was only one year left and we, we needed a immediate need. We we're going to lose Eric Martin. You know, we needed an edge guy and I'm like, all right, I'm getting an edge guy. And, you know, I called them and, you know, we talked, talked to the parents. They came out for the Michigan game. It was a night game. You know, you beat Michigan on TV under the lights, being that, that, that you know, the environment, the stadium and the W made my life pretty dang easy for recruiting Randy and uh, you know, everybody in the world offered him and you know, he shut it down. He shut it down right after that, man. So, so uh, you know, and then, and then, you know, Dennis and um, you know, those folks, Kim, Shell Pepper. I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, I'm gonna give a shout out and, and, and make sure people remember, know this name, Kim Shell Pepper. Randy wouldn't have made it out of Lincoln, Nebraska with what this, what this person did for him. I mean, you talking about an amazing woman. You want to talk about, you want to do an interview on Randy Gregory, go talk to Kim Shellpepper. I'd never seen a single individual help somebody care for a player more than, more than Kim did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely amazing job what she did. So, uh, Please give her a shout out. People, make sure people know her name and then the job that she does for those players. Um, so you want you want to recognize somebody on the 50 yard line for what they've done for Nebraska student athletes? Um, get get old Kim out there. But uh, you know, I mean, just just getting Randy through and then working with Randy and then the weight room with Coach Dobson did. But but obviously he was a he just freaky athletic and then we got him on campus and then when you have a talent like that, Schmitty, my job was not screw him up. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have Adrian Clayboards, when you have Randy Gregory's, you just tweak him, man. You don't overcoach him. You let him be athlete. You don't want to take a Randy Gregory and turn him into a four eight, four nine defensive end. Hey, just do what you do, man. Hey, on your way there, do this. That right elbow tuck. Drop that shoulder. That inside side leg pass to hit but teach him the scheme that's why schemes overrated scheme scheme anybody can learn my wife can learn scheme you know but she's not coming off the edge against wisconsin making sacks it's coaching guys and part of coaching sometimes is is, is not over coaching so when you got a guy like randy that's just kind of it's kind of what you do man but yeah you know every every kid's story every every recruiting story it's a little bit different but Great thing about football athletics, you got kids, colors, religion, creeds, backgrounds, y'all come together and man, where else in where where else in the world um, does that happen other than, you know, a lot of a lot of Saturdays in the fall on football fields, man. So that's what I miss. Um, but that's the great thing about sports, especially football, man. So um, just great to see, but couldn't be more proud of, of both of those guys. Kaz, you ever you ever hoop up with Randy one on one? Oh nah, bro. I don't want to give my secrets away. <laughs> I so you can't give them away. Can't give I was away. I was wondering. I was wondering. Uh, I got a I got a nice J when I'm until I get guarded, brother. <laughs> now that I'm guarded, I just my step back. I just don't create the separation like I used to, and and then I, I panic. You start digging me up, I panic. I panic a little bit. So 
lost my game. Lost my game a little bit, but absolutely not. I'll, I'll take Malik on the hoop court even today. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Kaz, we'll, we'll do this again, but we'll catch up soon. Thanks for the time. Hi, right, brother. Thank you. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. This Saturday morning edition Best of Hail Varsity Radio rolls on. We just heard from Java Chamberlain and Rick Kaczynski back in hour one. This hour, we got Warren G. Our interview with Warren G. from back in 2016 coming your way, as well as our interview with Ron Brown. But first, our interview from back in 2019 with Bengals head coach Zach Taylor. Back to it, Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Blackshirt, Husker, NFLer. We say hi to... The head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, Zach Taylor. Zach, how's that sound? That sounds great, guys. I appreciate y'all having me on. It's been uh, it's been great to watch you, man. We're so happy for you with uh, your success in coaching, and uh, excited for you in Cincinnati. Want to start with, uh, I guess, the process as much as you can, or would like to share about uh, the rise up, the grinding you've done and then the opportunity that presented itself in Cincinnati. Well, I've just I've had the opportunity in my coaching career to be around some really good people, and I've taken what I've learned really from all those guys, and, and um, they've all I've had a lot of great mentors that have taken it upon themselves to help me throughout my career, and then that really culminated in these last two years getting a chance to be in L.A. with Sean McVay. And I know I've talked to you guys about him before, but uh, just the culture that he created and – the ability for him to get the most out of his coaches and players really really has helped me these last couple of years and put me in a position uh, to be the head coach of the Bengals. Zach, you know, we've I've, I've talked to you endless times here in the last couple of years about the, the opportunities, but I mean, obviously your your rise up is 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 duly noted. Um, but I want to go kind of go back and I, I did a Tom Chattel with Omaha World Herald did uh interviewed me, I think around the Super Bowl, asked me a few questions about you and I brought up on um, this one always sticks out to me and it's, it, we go back to our uh we go back to our, our roommate days and our playing days at Nebraska, and it was after the Big 12 championship game. We played Oklahoma, and I think uh, you did a, re- a recent article around here, and you noted that um, that game as well, and you remember it, you know, by play by play. But um, yeah. um, I remember when we got back to the room after we bust back from Kansas City back to our back to our house, and we kind of were sitting up there talking about the game, and you said, you know, I was just. I had no idea what Oklahoma was doing. That always stuck, stood up my head. You're like, you would drop back in the pocket and you'd look. You say, oh, they're in this coverage. But as soon as you drop back, um, you know they'd be in, in this coverage. And you're just, you're just kind of perplexed about the whole game. And you, in in that article, you said you were just puzzled. You know that, that game still sticks out every every throw, every play. And now you use that now with your quarterbacks and with the, you're the future quarterbacks. Kind of talk us through that uh, that that scenario there. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I remember that game very well. And I do remember, it was almost like from a quarterback perspective, that they were coaching their defense from a quarterback. It was almost like they had another quarterback over there. You know, hey, these are the things that would really screw a guy up. And so they did a really good job for years there. Venables is now at Clemson. You know, I, I think the world of him, and he's a great coach, and they create a lot of problems. And, you know, I still to this day, like you mentioned, I, I do coach some of these things with our quarterbacks now with, you know, my, my fundamentals got sloppy in that game sometimes and some throws that appeared easy and you get you get real sloppy fundamentally and 
you make a lazy throw and it gets picked. You know, I can I can remember the three picks specific, very specifically, uh, why I threw them and, and the reason for them being intercepted. Um, I still got those DBs names pinned on my wall. You know, kind of like the uh, the Billy Madison uh, his list he's got on there. You know, Nick Harris, all those guys. But uh, yeah, so you know, th- those are lessons that I learned that mistakes I made that I want to make sure that the guys I coach don't make the same mistakes. You know, never get lazy in a game. You know, treat every throw like you're going to win the Super Bowl and make sure that you're fundamentally sound and doing things like we always drill them. And so, uh, you know, if they can learn from some of those examples, some of those poor examples that I had, uh, then as long as it helps us win, then I'm all for it. You know, it helped Zach, too. And I'm going to get punched here in a minute if you had had any defense that game. Oh, that's a that's a lie. <laughs> I, I remember correctly. It was like seven to seven in the fourth quarter. No, I, I, I know it was. I know. It was, uh, oh man, trust don't, me. I, don't go there. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Zach Taylor's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Zach, touch on the ability to connect at the different levels you've been at A and M. Also, when you were in Miami also with Los Angeles, and now with what you have in Cincinnati, specifically the quarterback spot. I know you're head coach now, but everywhere you've been, you've gotten really good quarterback play, and I think that's a tribute to you and the staff that you've been a part of. I know you're a, you're a team guy, but what's it like for you to be able to figure out a guy's personality and then help him thrive? Yeah, it's, I, I try to, from my perspective, I just try to be consistent every day. So they know what they're going to get from me. And most of the quarterbacks have very similar personalities. They're hardworking, they're driven, they're smart. That's why they start in the NFL. Um, so at this level, that part of it is easy. You're getting a very similar person no matter where you coach. It's just a matter of me being consistent, me understanding. You know, sometimes I'm going to coach some things a certain way, and, and these quarterbacks I've had say, that doesn't. that's not helping me. That's not how I see it. And so you've got to – be able to modify and adapt and find the ways that help them. And so in this league, more than anything, there's clear, open, and honest communication, you know, back and forth with these quarterbacks. And um, they're as smart as coaches or smarter than coaches oftentimes. So it can't just be my way or the highway. There's got to be a middle ground there where you find the ways that they they learn best and um, that help them absorb the film the best. And so I just think I found a good middle ground with all the quarterbacks that I've coached in this league. And we've always worked well together. And, you know, if that makes them have a, a good season, then so be it. But um, I just feel like we've always had a good relationship. I've been able to be hard on them. Um, and I've been brutally honest with them every step of the way. Zach, you're, you're, now you're trying to fill out your, your coaching staff and um, you're going through that process. What, what boxes need to be checked um, when you're filling out your staff? What, what kind of attributes and uh, traits do they need to have? To be, you know what, I want this guy to be a part of my coaching staff. Yeah, guys who are good communicators. Um, you know, they're they're all about the culture that we're trying to build. They don't have a, um, you know, they don't have an ego about themselves. They don't have an alternate agenda. We're just all about finding the right people. And the number one thing we'll preach in this organization is communication. That's that's with me and ownership. That's with me and the coaching staff. That's with the coaches and the players, players and players. Everyone's got to be on the same page at all times. And um, it's when that communication gets disjointed. I think is when. Um, some organizations find some trouble. So that's the first step. I want these, these coaches on the staff to all fall in that category of great communicators. And, you know, whatever the coordinators ask them to do, that's the way they're going to teach in those, those meeting rooms. And we're going to have that trust there. And so, so far we've been able to follow that um, to a T with the guys we've hired. We've hired a great staff. we got a couple more to go. But 
right now I, I think that we've got a really good staff that's all on the same page. Zach Taylor's with us, head coach, Cincinnati Bengals, Hale Varsity Radio. A few more minutes, Jay Moore, Chris Schmidt. When it comes to culture, and, and that's a, it's a big buzzword that is, is used and it's so, so important. You guys live it every day, playing and uh, performing at, at the college and pro level and now as, as a coach. Can you kind of lay out, yes, you mentioned communication. What are some other parts of the Zach Taylor culture that folks can see? It will really spend a lot of time stressing their football character, you know, um, their coachability, their dependability. Um, You know, we want to make sure that um, the standards we have for every player are the same, whether it's in a meeting, a walkthrough, the game reps. You know, we're going to hold our best players to the highest standard and and the guys on the bottom of the roster to that exact same standard. And, you know, so guys guys will do anything you can if they know that you can can, can help them get better. And so that's, that's what we'll focus on every single day is having high standards for our guys, being clear communicators. Um, you know, we'll, the two team rules we'll have are be on time and protect the team. That's it. It doesn't get a the, – the list doesn't need to be much longer than that. Those are the two things that we'll follow. They'll see every day when they walk in this building. Um, but we, we just want to create a bunch of positive energy. We're going to hold guys accountable when they're making mistakes. But at the same time, when they do things the right way, we'll make sure we praise them in front of their teammates and, and try to get the most out of them that way. So – um, I'm excited. I, I think that these guys are, are excited. They're hungry. We've got a good group of players that are just ready to get to work. Zach, you know, as now you're a guy that get, is able to call the shots. You know, coaches and players in, in football, and you've been around the game so long, you know, it's always been done a certain way. Kind of coaches and players become creatures of, of habit. Things are kind of practices are ran the same way. Kind of days are run the same way. Um, what is your, you know, your day? Are you going to tweak things, you know, that, you know, a, a kind of against that – that structure that you know a, a normal player and a coach goes through. Are you going to try to do anything different that you've learned, um, whether you're at A and M, whether you're at Miami, whether you're at the University of Cincinnati, or where, you, where you've been, um, whether you've been at LA, to try to, um, you know, just try to tweak it a little bit to benefit the players and your staff. Well, it's important that our guys are healthy on Sundays. That's that's the number one thing. So our schedule will always be based around um, how hard can we push our players and when do we need to pull back. And sports science plays in that. The strength coaches, the trainers, they all play into that. But we want to make sure that we're not just uh, beating them to ground seven days in a row in training camp. We're going to make sure that, you know, when their bodies are telling us we need to pull back and make sure they get a day of rest so that we can push them harder the next the next two days following that day of rest. That's what we're going to do. So, uh, you know, in L.A., the last two years, 21 of our 22 starters were healthy the first game of the season. That played the first game of the season started the playoff game. You know, 21 of 22 starters. So, uh, we, we obviously did a good job there of keeping our guys healthy, keeping them fresh so that they could help us in that, those playoff runs those last two years. And so um, that philosophy has, has really helped us out there and is going to help us here in Cincinnati. How excited are you to work with uh, Andy Dalton? And from an offensive look, what, what's the scheme going to be? Well, the starting first of all, with Andy, I, I'm really excited to work with Andy. I think he's a, a smart player who's always done it the right way, um, accurate, gets the ball out on time, gets it out quick. He's a good teammate. He's a good leader. So those are all great starting points for quarterback. And I haven't gotten a chance to work with him yet, but sure. uh, those are all the characteristics that you're looking for when you got a guy. So excited to work with him. And then, you know, the starting point for this offense, I believe, in what we did these last two years in L.A., uh, I hired a bunch of guys who did not coach in L.A. that have other influences. You know, Alex Van Pelt has been in a lot of different systems. Bob McNeil, a lot of different systems. Uh, Brian Callahan, Jamal Singleton came from – the Raiders and, and Brian's been in 
uh, Denver when Peyton Manning was there. They won a lot of games there. So I wanted to bring in a lot of guys who had a lot of different backgrounds that can help influence and um, help this offense progress over these next couple of years. And so it's an exciting staff that we've put together so far. What were you able to take and learn from the playoff run and, and then getting to the Super Bowl? I know it's not the result uh, that you wanted, but it's still an achievement to get to, to that, that pinnacle. What did you take away from this season? Well, there's no secret formula. Our approach did not change from week one to week, it felt like week 40, you know, whatever, week 23 <laughs> when we played in the Super Bowl, you know, that was a long season. But the approach never stayed, uh, never never strayed. The, the standards never changed. The way we walked through, the way we practiced, the level of detail was there every day we went about our practices. And so that was a credit to those players. It was a credit to the coaches for maintaining those standards. Um, but everybody bought in. Everyone knew that that was the right way to do it. We were going to get the most out of each other. And so there was total buy-in from the players, and they played for each other. You know, they all knew that we could achieve something bigger than themselves if they all bought in and did it the right way. And um, so it was really a special year that I, that I did take a lot from it. Got more minutes. Zach Taylor with us, Hale Varsity Radio Head Coach of Cincinnati. I want to get your guys' perspective here because it's, it's a flashpoint memory for a lot of Nebraska fans, and that's, that's the A&M game where you guys captured mm-hmm. – the uh, the Big Twelve North in uh, two thousand six. Yeah, in two thousand six. Yeah. Two thousand six, and I remember watching that game. My little guy Carson had just been born, so he's <laughs> he's in my right arm like a football, but I didn't fumble, uh, thankfully. And uh, we're watching that, and and I see Mo go up on the fade pass from you, Zach. I know the defensive effort, Jay, that the black shirt had, black shirts had that Saturday. Zach, start with you, and then Jay. I want you to follow just from the defensive perspective. But can you remember, or or do you think much of of, of that drive? I'm not saying Al Bundy here live in the past, but it's it's a it's a moment that Nebraska fans still associate with a lot of joy. And what a what a job you guys did executing uh, to to eking that one out down in A and M. I I don't spend as much time now thinking about it. You know, I, I think my wife showed my son, my oldest eight-year-old son, a video of it not too recently because he, he found in his closet a a um, Nebraska jersey that I, I, I don't know who bought for him years and years ago. It was a 13 Nebraska jersey for my son. And he found it in his closet, and he wanted to wear it to school for jersey day. And so then my wife showed a video of the end of the Texas A&M game. And so that was the first moment he, he realized, Dad, Dad, you played? You, you know, you played football? You know, and so – uh, that was neat for me. That, that was I probably hadn't really thought about it in years um, until that day. So that was that's the cool part about being a dad, as as we all know. Um, but what I do think back as you asked me that question is just how all three phases really came together. Because let's not forget, I, I threw a pick on a dagger route um, to whoever that Mike Klein. I forget his name, but Mark Dodge, I think, was his name, mm-hmm. picking off in the fourth quarter, and the game should have been over. They really blew it, you know, Jay. The defense got him out of got Javorski Lane out of balance a couple times, um, so we preserved the clock, and then we went and so we got a huge stop. We blocked a field goal, and then that gave us an opportunity to go down and win it on offense. When in reality, the game should have been over because of the pick we threw. And so, as a coach, I look at all three phases really came together to bail out the offense when the quarterback made a mistake and the defense and special teams stepped up and didn't panic, got it together, and then we got a chance to go down there and make some plays to win the game. So. From a coaching standpoint, that's what I look at. It was a total team effort to go win a championship, and that's what it takes if you're going to win a big game like that. 
That, just, that game, I mean, we sealed the Big, Tw- uh, Big 12 North after we won that game, but we got off to a hot start. But just like in college football, in any sport in general, um, it's just a roller coaster. And we got off to a really good start. And I believe, we, you know, we kind of had a, a, a bad habit of coming out after halftime kind of flat. I think we were up a couple touchdowns at, at half and then kind of fell flat a li- little bit in the third quarter, then battled back. Um, we got the stop. I mean, blocking that field goal was huge. That flipped the momentum right there. And then, you know, Zach and, you know, able to hit some big throws. I remember Dan Erickson making a couple mm-hmm. big catches down the, down the sidelines. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, holy smokes, we're going to do this. Because um, we had a couple chances. I think, you know, we blew a chance. I, I don't know if it was a week before or a couple weeks before in Oklahoma State to seal the north. We had an opportunity. We, again, came out flat again the second half and didn't, didn't get, get, get the job done. But, uh, you know, that's one game that definitely when you, you, you're able to seal your half the conference and play for a championship. Um, then the way we were able to do it was Zach Tamo in the end zone there. Um, then the defense to seal it off. I mean, because they could still could have got a couple uh, – um, they still had a chance to win. I think they had 20 seconds left into the, the game, but uh, right. defense was able to seal it off. So um, that's that's one of my uh, fondest memories um, of my of our senior year. Zach, thanks so much for the time today. Appreciate you joining us, and congrats on your success. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Welcome in. Uh, tremendous artist, talent, Warren G with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Warren, we were just talking about you. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm chilling, man. Out here on this road, man, hitting these cities and doing great shows, man, and having a good time. No, I bet. And I tell you what, uh, Lincoln is excited that you're coming to town. And oh, yeah. uh, what, what are folks going to be in for tomorrow night? A great show, man. A great show. I'm going to give you some of the classics, uh, uh, you know some of the up-to-date stuff, and then just man, it's just gonna be it's gonna be fun. Just a lot of good music, man. No, I yeah, bet indeed. it's gonna bring back. Uh, you know, folks know you, folks remember you. Yeah, and uh, just personally, my my bro's coming to town, so we're going to this, and oh, so good. Yeah, but oh, yeah. he uh, throwing in. Uh, Regulate doing his paper route. That's what we like grew up on. So it's going to be so cool to see you. Oh yeah, yes indeed, man. So yes indeed. <laughs> Warren G's with us here. Warren, we won't keep you too long, man. I know it's it's a grind for you. You're hitting so many cities, and thanks again for giving us a few minutes. Take me through just your 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 life in music here for for a couple of minutes. Humor me with mm-hmm. just how you got got to where you are now. I mean, take us back to. You and Snoop and, and Nate Dog, man, all kind of hanging out and then blowing up. Well, we just we just used to just, you know, strive real hard to try to get noticed. You know, a lot of people think, you know, just because I'm related to, to uh, Dre, that it's supposed to come on a silver spoon, and that wasn't the case. You know, we was out grinding real hard and getting our names known all over the city. And uh, we did some songs that, that got out and around town, you know, like that was around that hit all the different cities, you know, and uh, I just happened to pop the tape in one day um, and Dre was around and he heard it and he was like, who was this? I was like, that's me and Snoop and uh, Nate. And I was trying to tell you about our music and he heard it and he liked it and he was just like, you know, I want you guys to come to the studio on Monday. Mm. And uh, from it's been on ever since, you know. No, I I hear you, and and that's and a stepbrother, correct? Doctor Dre's your stepbrother. 
Yeah. Right, and that's so with that relationship where we've you been together, we everybody we've been together all our life. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's, we brothers. It don't step yeah, half sure. whatever. I don't, it's all. Your your brothers. brothers. You I get it. Now, my question with you: Were you? nervous to bring your music to him or did did were you did he not want to mess with you on because i mean he'd been doing nwa and his his own thing for for a little while how did was it was it just no was there not an opportunity until there was an opportunity for you to kind of present no this went no it it just was it was on a humbug like i said i Uh I was around him you know, I was went to you know, it wasn't even about no music. I was just around them and you know, the event that we was at, you know, I, I played the music. They didn't have no more music to you know, it was a, actually a bachelor party, you know, and uh and I uh, I popped the tape and he heard it and he was like cool and you know, when we got to the studio on Monday we it, that's where it all happened, it all changed from there. He told us to come and stay with him and get out of this you know, the neighborhood so we don't get caught up in no trouble. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just been on ever since, you know. Warren G. is with us. Hail Varsity Radio Bourbon Theater. Get your tickets. Uh, yeah. if, if if you if you don't have them already, ten o'clock yeah. show tomorrow night. Now, Warren, I got to ask you here. Nebraska's wide receivers coach Keith Williams, the biggest Tupac fan there is. You know, you knew Tupac real well. Uh, yeah. uh, what was that like spending time with him? Oh, it was cool, man. Um, he was a good dude, man. Just really, really hard worker, fast and hard worker. And uh, he just, just you know, the, the the things he talked about was was real life and just, you know, he, some of the things he talked about came to life, you know, as far as just a lot of the things that we see today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was just a good dude, man. Just a good dude and, and just was humble, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just glad to be one of the guys that had a chance to work with him. And, uh, you know, he, he, but he was, a, he was a real good cat. Warren, are you a big football fan? Definitely. You okay. Know? So who do, you, who, do you, who do you cheer for? Who do you like, either NFL or college? NFL, I'm a Raider fan. All right. You know, I've been a Raider since Kenny King. Well, my dad turned me on to the Raiders one way back then. Okay. And, uh, and then I'm, you know, I, I, uh, I'm a high school fan too. I actually got a son that's a, uh, uh, they just they just labeled him a five star athlete out of California. Tell me, uh, twenty. Uh, his name is Elijah Griffin, uh, cornerback, wide receiver, athlete. Man, he uh, just a junior, and um, I really enjoy watching watching him do his thing. He got like about eleven or twelve offers so far. That'll be great. So that's so yeah, cool. Elijah, Elijah Griffin, man. Tell you what. Lockdown corner. That's all right. That's no fly zone. If you get a, you get a few <laughs> minutes, man, uh, drive by that stadium in Nebraska. You'll love it. Oh, yeah. You know what? I think Nebraska reached out to him, too. That's what I thought. I, I, yeah, that's what I thought. He was probably just here he, with Keyshawn and those guys. Yeah. No, he, they, they, I promise you, the uh, head coach uh, reached out to him on his Twitter. I think, okay. Oh, you know what? I can't see not the, not the head coach, but the DB coach. Yeah. Warren, Warren, <laughs> I, I don't know. Warren, 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 do you have like uh, five? Hang on, I got to get to break. You got five minutes? Five more minutes? Yeah. Hang on, folks. Rap, hip-hop, loyalty. 
Warren G. Bourbon Theater, 10 o'clock tomorrow night. You can log on, warreng.com, get your tickets, 1450 O Street. You know where the bourbon's at. It'll be incredible. Warren G's giving us some more kindness. A couple more minutes here before we say goodbye on a Friday. Warren, we're talking college football, man, and uh, your son, uh, Elijah Griffin, a lockdown corner, a wideout. Where does he go to school in Cali? Uh, yeah, Mission Viejo High School. Okay. And Mission Viejo, California. All right, all right. Yes, No, that'll be good, man. A lot of talent out in Cali. Uh, Mission Viejo, well-known mm-hmm. program, well-known uh, well-known region. So, Warren, uh, we're so excited you're you're going to be in Lincoln, and uh, you're going to be rocking at, at the Bourbon here Saturday night, 10 o'clock show. And, oh, yeah. Uh, what, uh, what's... What's one thing that you uh, you still want to do musically? I know it's kind of a broad question here, but as we say goodbye, I want to get back to music and your show. And yeah. you've done such an amazing work when it comes to uh, producing, recording. I mean, you've done it all. But what's what's next for you to do? Well, right now I'm I'm working on uh, my documentary. It's called the G Funkumentary. Um, <laughs> very very. Uh, uh, this, this this is gonna be just as big as the NWA movie, the way I see it. Um, I mean, I got a ton of interesting people in it. I, I don't want to tell it all and spoil sure. it, but it's it's definitely gonna be uh, a very 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 great uh, uh, documentary. But it's, it's it's called the G Funk documentary, and it's about, it's just giving people the history on on uh, what G Funk is and, and what it did for West Coast hip hop and the hip hop culture in general and uh it's it's gonna be great and I'm gonna do a soundtrack to it, uh which is gonna be produced by me. Uh, I'm gonna have a lot of great people on there. Uh it's gonna be my detox. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh and then the movie is gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be really it's gonna be good at the the documentary. Uh and uh I'm working on that man and just still producing man and getting more into to, uh, film and TV as far as uh, scoring and, you know, scoring and, and uh, you know, doing music for commercials and stuff like that. And, and still producing hip-hop, R&B, uh, no matter what it is, and, and just, you know, giving these these new artists and the old artists, older artists, uh, great music. Well, Warren, it's an honor to have you in to uh, Cornhusker State tomorrow night. Best to you. I uh, look forward to a great show. We'll reach out to you again and talk some more high school ball, all right? All right, man. Take care of yourself. Born G right, with you us. Too. Thank you. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Wrapping up our best of Hale Varsity Radio today, we heard from Kaz and Jabba Chamberlain back in hour one. This hour, we've heard from Zach Taylor and Warren G. We're going to wrap it up with our interview with Ron Brown from just a couple weeks ago. This is good stuff. Ron Brown brought on the running back room. Uh, what the uh, the running back room could look like this season. This is a good one. This is where we'll leave you. Ron Brown joining us here on the best of Hale Varsity Radio. Back into it. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's talk some uh, big red football. And spring is uh, just around the corner with uh, the spring session for the team we welcome in a longtime assistant for nebraska football and senior offensive analyst ron brown coach brown it's been a little while what's going on how are you 
Good, Smitty. How you doing, man? I'm uh, not sure whether to hibernate or come out and enjoy the spring. So it just uh, one one day it's winter and the next day it's spring. That's why we love Nebraska, right? <laughs> On our toes. Yeah. There you go, man. <laughs> so you you weren't out there sprinting around with the rest of the team midweek, were you? <laughs> well, I was. I was. Uh, I was out there. I was watching. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it. Uh, there were some cold days. We've also had some great weather, mm-hmm. but. Anyhow, uh, looking forward to spring ball and all the stuff that comes along with that. Well, I want to go back to the end of the regular season for you as you transitioned to uh, to take over the running backs, and you also spent some time on the recruiting trail. What was that like for you? Oh, you know, I, I've done it for so many years, um, so it wasn't really that much of a transition. I think the uh, there are there are some changes in the recruiting. Uh, process now, particularly with the the transfer portal being so active. Um, so you know, there's some of that. We had, uh, of course, had a little bit of an unusual situation with uh, coaches gone uh, before the season was over, and so a lot of questions had to be answered in regards to uh, where we're, what kind of a program do we have, where are we going, et cetera. So. You know, there were there were there were all those things, but you know, Smitty, I, f- I feel like I've been here in college football for so long. Um, you know, I've I've kind of seen a lot of things. I, I I feel like I've seen it all, and I know I haven't seen it all, but I feel like I've been through enough things that I can adapt to about any situation that uh, that needs to happen. So, you know, I just um, uh, went after went after it business as usual, but always excited. I love football. I love these these kids. I thank the Lord for the opportunity to be serving in some capacity. Ron Brown's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. You've seen a lot in, in, in your time. Did you have ever anticipate anything like the portal happening? You know, uh, I should have because I could see a trend going uh, that were that, that there was a loosening of the guard, so to speak, and what I mean by that, there was going to be more and more given to the athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, there was going to be more latitude, more say that the athlete has, so forth and so on. And um, you know, you could just see that something was coming down the pipe that way. Uh, and I'm not sure we're done yet. You know, you start to see NIL um, along with the, the the relaxed, more relaxed uh, mandates on whether you know who can transfer, when you can transfer, how often you can transfer, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's like a, it's almost like a uh, uh, a free agency in the National Football League. It's just kind of like open season that way. So. Yeah, I, I I should have known it was coming. Uh, I was hoping that it wouldn't come to this uh, degree, personally, but um, uh, it's here, and um, we're just all kind of meshing and adapting with it. Well, Nebraska's adapted pretty well. You're, you're going to lose some kids, unfortunately, but Nebraska, from a, a roster standpoint, Coach Brown really did well with uh, the acquisitions uh, in the portal, some some pretty, uh, at least on paper, pretty key pieces pieces that were additions. Well, you you made a big statement there, Schmitty, at least on paper, because mm-hmm. right now everything's on paper. You know, you you that the one thing that 
football has always brought out, and this is true of other sports and the business world and life in general, is that eventually, you know, it all has to translate into reality. And so what's on paper has to perform. Um, what looks good in the front end, what does it look like at the back end or in the middle of the process? You know, we, sometimes we people tend to rate recruiting classes and recruiters a certain way. They go, oh, they, the best recruits have come to such and such a school. We don't know for two, three, maybe four years how good your recruiting class is. And you don't know how good your recruiters are until that, until after that time. It all looks good on the front end if you're looking at five-star, four-star, all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, we've got to play the games. And, you know, we've seen here at Nebraska over the years where we've broken those tendencies. In other words, we, you know, even back in the 90s, we were you know, 34th, 35th in the nation in recruiting and all of this. And yet we put a string of national championships together that was uh, pretty unique. Well, how did that happen? Well, you know, the, those things that you were looking at on paper weren't always the best barometer to look at. And so I think being able to uh, hopefully we've done our homework and done as good a job as we can in the transfer portal, you've got to keep looking under the hood. And when you're dealing with transfers, because you don't have very much time to recruit them, and so you have to learn about them fast, hopefully we've done a great job of looking under the hood and that it's more than just what we see on paper with physical talent. And at the end of the day, it's all going to come out in the wash. You know what I'm saying, Smitty? I hear you loud and clear. Ron Brown's with us. So you go back to some of those banner teams that had maybe not high, as highly rated recruiting classes. The one thing that Nebraska's always done at an exceptional level is, well, identify talent, but then also get the most out of the kid and develop that talent. That's the mesh that's got to happen. Uh, and, and has happened for a lot of years in Lincoln. And if you were to, to ballpark it, do you think you guys, when it was really rolling, nailed the kids? Or did, was, it, was, it, was a big part of that also the development? Because I go back and the you know, NFL drafts around the corner. I just, you know, Elijah and I talk a lot about um, just the, the reload. You, you lose somebody to the NFL, just case in point, Wistrom, sixth pick overall. And then down the pike, here's Vandenbosch, second round pick. I mean, that was that wasn't just a, a nice five to seven year run. That was uh, uh, two two more guys in a succession of pretty high level p- difference makers on the defense. Yeah, I, you know it, it, that that you make a great point. Development. Coach Osborne always had a philosophy of not only development, but. If you made a mistake, if it looked like you made a mistake in the first year and you look at this kid that was supposed to be a highly rated recruit and he doesn't look as good as we thought he was, Mm -hmm. Coach Osborne, as nice as he was, said, well, you better make it right, Coach. Whoever recruited him and whoever's going to coach this guy better make it right. In other words, let's pour into this young man and let's make him or help him to be the very best player he can be. And I think that was very important. The other thing that's really important, and I talked about looking under the hood, there's a Bible verse that says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so many times we are measuring people off of tangibles 
um, how big, how fast, you know, his statistics, how big of a high school he played at, notoriety, all those kinds of things. But then you've got you. We all see it all the time. These guys that come out of nowhere. We've seen it at Nebraska numerous times with our walk-on players here in the state. Um, we've. It's just been a remarkable um, process for me in the 35, nearly 40 years of college football now that I've been in. A remarkable process to see that Bible verse come true. Looking at the heart, looking what's inside, looking what's under the hood uh, of these players, and not just relying on the the four star, five star, so forth. Like you said, I mean, the way I would put it is that the two star kid comes in here, and then he walks out the door as a four star or five star kid. Uh, the and I think that proves. True, Smitty, also with the NFL stats, I think the average draft pick in the National Football League is like a, a kid that, that would have been a 2.3, 2.4 star-rated kid coming out of high school. That's remarkable. That's a little above walk-on status, barely scholarship status, and a kid has gone on to the National Football League that tells you that there's a lot of development, especially in a sport like football where mass and explosion and muscularity, lean muscle mass, and the changes of the body have to take place for most every single player. Uh, you've got to throw that into account, and a lot can happen in a three- or four-year period of time in a young man's life. Coach, you've had a chance to see what's in the running back room. There's some new additions, of course, but that's uh, that's an area of interest for a lot of Nebraska fans. Your thoughts with this running back room going into the spring? Well, there's no question. First of all, uh, Brian Applewhite uh, coming in as our running back coach, uh, I think uh, has done an excellent job uh, just getting the some new, fresh um, thinking, the way he explains things. Uh, so that's been really good. Um, and also, there's a core of running backs there that are very young. And, and so the continual, consistent training of these guys uh, is there, there's going to be improvement. I, I really believe there's going to be improvement simply because they are young guys still learning. It's a very young running back room. The key thing is being able to keep people here and consistently figuring this thing out. Um, you can't give all these guys all the reps um, you know, because it's, there's just too many. It's going to have to whittle down. Spring ball this year is going to be obviously a, a, a great indication of where we're going to be at. We're going to have to give these guys a lot of reps and see, see who emerges from the smoke. Gabe Irving uh, is one guy that in spring ball won't, won't get a chance to do a whole lot in spring ball coming off of the knee surgery that he had after the Oklahoma game. But, of course, he was our starter uh, last year uh, early in the season as a true freshman. And so yet you see the leadership quality. You see how he's working. Um, so in addition to him, we'll be, we'll be able to see a lot of guys this spring work at it. and It'll all come out in the wash for us. A couple more minutes. Ron Brown with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Senior Offensive Analyst. Coach Brown, there are a number of backs. Uh, Ramir really ran hard last year. I look at a guy like Yant and, and how he finished up against Iowa. 
was was impressive. And uh, of course, um, Emmett Johnson. Emmett, Emmett, we talked to him on signing day, and really impressed with him. Uh, he had uh, Anthony coming in from uh, from JUCO. So there's a number of kids, and I'm sure I've left a few few out. But uh, mm-hmm. a lot of intrigue. But yeah, there's one ball and a lot of backs that want to want to carry it. Yeah, and that's always that's always been the case. You know, around here, uh, people people remember. Uh, you know, historically here, we've always had a good stable of backs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've always had three or four NFL type guys sitting in the room, and at times, guys had to wait their turn. Um, you know, nowadays you can get away with a three good backs. You know, you look at Michigan, for example; they had two really good backs that kind of loaded it up. They were the Big Ten champion. They were uh, they were the team that I think they I think they led the conference in rushing. And those two backs took their their guys to uh, to the national playoffs. But uh, you know when I look at um, our backfield right now, I think when you look at a Yant, for example, and a Ramir, you get a difference in style that could complement one another. And then you got a guy like Gabe Irving, who's kind of a combination of the two of those guys. You know, that we used to have that kind of situation here. Um, and I, and I, and so we have the potential to do that. It'll be interesting to see how the guys develop, but we really ought to be pretty good at that position before it's all said and done. Provided that, you know, we, you know, there's the obviously staying healthy, but also just, taking on the right attitude. So I'm looking forward to this young group and seeing how they develop. Ron Brown with his coach. Final thought here, Mark Whipple in his offensive coordinator. You go back uh, quite a few years with him. You know him from back east, and uh, he was fun to, to get a chance to meet uh, at the roundtable you know, not long ago. But uh, just uh, the offense, uh, the direction it's going, and then what the addition means with Coach Whipple. Yeah, there's always a you know a transition in, in learning new offenses and so forth. But I think it's been going really well. Whip's a bright guy. You know, I played with him for four years in college, um, and he he was our quarterback and very bright guy. Really scrappy, tough competitor, and that's how he coaches. He coaches the same way. He's kind of a maverick. You know, <laughs> he, he kind of lays it out there, and and he's not all uh, he's not this uh, you know diplomatic. Uh, I mean, he's gonna. He's going to let it loose. He's going to shout shout out some things sometimes, and um, he's going to uh, take chances. Uh, a risk taker for sure. He's always been that kind of guy as a player. I coached with him at Brown University years ago as well for one year, and um, no, I I have great respect for Mark and his coaching uh, ability, um, and so so far so good. You know, we've got a, a, the, the, some of the guys on our staff. Uh, getting to know one another. Mickey Joseph, of course, is no stranger to us. Mickey's a very talented young guy with a lot of energy. Um, and then uh, Donovan Rayola. Donovan knows a lot about Nebraska football. He played uh, at Wisconsin. But his brother, of course, Don, played here. We recruited Donovan when he was a high school player out of Hawaii. Uh, so these guys all have a, I think, uh, are all adjusting. Some of them have familiarity with us, but uh, they're all seeming to adapt. Uh, and uh, Brian Applewhite as well as the running back coach. Ron Brown with us. Coach, we'll uh, see you down at spring ball. Thanks for a few minutes today. You bet, Schmitty. Thanks for having me, buddy. God bless.
That'll do it for this best of edition of Hale Varsity Radio. We'll be back Monday to talk Nebraska's basketball's coaching staff changes uh, and more. 4 o'clock Monday here on ESPN Lincoln.